This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Now, today's guest is Carlin Purcell. Let me tell you a little bit about Carlin. Uh, Carlin is the CEO of KDPM Consulting Group, and she's also been seen on own TV. She's a certified emotional intelligence and brain neural leadership coach. So we're going to be diving into a lot of emotional intelligence. And she's an amazing lady who has multifaceted intersections, as you will find in the story, based on her background and her interests. And we're going to dive into a lot of the themes on the week, but we're also going to dive into her expertise with emotional intelligence. Without further ado, let's bring on our guest, Colin Bursil. <laughs> hey, Tayo, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm better this week than I was previous weeks. Uh, the audience knows, especially after that first week, it was a lot of emotional gymnastics going on. I was dealing with, mm. you know, traumatic experiences, and then carrying the emotional labor of of the challenge that I just, uh, um, um, you know, I guess announced, but uh, I, I feel like I've, I've gotten to a better place, you know, with managing myself. So we'll see. You're, what about you? You're riding that wave. I am. I am. <laughs> I, I've never surfed before, but I imagine I'm, I'm about to catch that <laughs> that, that wave. Yeah. Um, 2020s, like, you know, 2020s, I think, teaching everyone how to ride a wave or I would say discover our emotional wave. Earlier on this year, I, I kept on saying, what kept on coming up for me is emotional flossing. I'm like, I, I can't allow those emotions to just sit in me because my body's not, our bodies are not designed to hold emotions. It's not a container. Uh, when we allow the emotions to just sit and don't process it, then we lose an opportunity to gather the wisdom for it, right? An unprocessed emotion turns into pain. So. Uh, it has definitely been a year of emotional flossing. I can definitely say I am a better flosser because of that, <laughs> right? That's amazing. Uh, and I'm still learning. I'm still learning because the year is still unfolding. You said something that really caught my ear. You said unprocessed emotion leads to pain. I feel like a lot of us have been realizing that we didn't process emotions the way we thought we did due to the last three weeks. I feel like it's just been coming out. But that is so true. Unprocessed emotion leads to pain. So how do we figure out how to understand how to process our emotions then? This is where self-awareness comes in. 
Mm -hmm. And um, having the ability for us to be present with ourselves, present with our emotions. And the first thing I would say is that emotion is a bodily sensation. There's a lot of, we've, we've been talking about bias. We have given emotions a bias. Usually when I do this work with my you know, emotional intelligence and helping leaders to increase their emotional intelligence so they can be more inclusive leaders, um, I often ask the question, uh, does emotion have a gender? Right. And a lot of people raise their hand and say, yes, it does. Or some people say no. And some people are like, I oh, know. But if you look at in the history of emotions, it's, it's been it has been assigned a gender. We, we people say emotion is something women face or women are emotional. Um, and it's, it's, it's given an assignment and to us and which I find is such a missed opportunity, because what ends up happening is that men feel like they don't have a right to feel or process their emotions. Yeah. And then you end up with a group of emotionally constipated men or women, too, um, because if you feel like you don't have permission for you to indulge in something, you'll experience exclusion. You'll be outside of the room looking in and saying, oh, wow, what are those people doing over here? But if we know that it's a human right to not only feel but process your emotion, which, by the way, is the key to increasing your emotional intelligence, then you actually start becoming a more authentic, more sincere, you're more in tune with your experiences. And most importantly, you can process what life is sending your way. Yeah. And, you know, I'm getting flashbacks uh, from conversations I've had with my, a lot of my female friends because my, my best friends are, are, are females and they always talk about, um, hmm, I wish guys knew how to process their emotion. And, I, and then sometimes when they're saying, I can't have a conversation with him. That seems to be what they're talking about. It's I really just wanted to talk about the pain and all that, but it didn't happen. And I, I also remember I got a I got a DM from someone that was listening uh, to you know following the challenge, and and she sent me a message talking about her partner and how it was initially hard for him to articulate those emotions, yeah. which points out you know brings back brings it back to all this. We're not a lot of us as men. We're not taught to yeah. to voice them out because that quote unquote makes you weak or so exactly yeah exactly. and so, it's not modeled and if it's not modeled in your childhood when you do you talk about conditioning right a mm -hmm. lot of us are conditioned not to i was conditioned not to i grew up in, in the caribbean in the islands where talking about our emotions or sharing what i'm feeling what i'm going through it wasn't yeah. modeled it wasn't like you know something we do as part of our culture as part of having conversations so yeah. it's only as i got older i learned how important emotions are and i started diving into the work um it started more on a personal level because i really wanted to understand what i was going through so that i could better express myself which is yeah. key for you know having those brave conversations and then it led me down a world of man this emotional intelligence thing is amazing and i wanted some more information and then it became my whole life i just got consumed with it well, let's let's talk. Let's talk about that. So you said you were going through. Talk about your background. You are from Saint Lucia. Yes. Currently live in Canada. Yes. Uh, Toronto, not Toronto. Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> Toronto. 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 Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or you so, can so, say the sticks. Yeah, I'm trying. So walk me through that. You know, you said you. You know, this was a very personal experience for you initially, and then it became professional. Yeah, because when I moved from, so I was born and raised in St. Lucia in a tiny village called Baslabawi, and my, my career started actually in banking. In the islands, you know, we only have 160,000 people. Um, I grew up going to the river to carry the water in the morning. We had no electricity, no running water. So I did my homework by candlelight or kerosene lamp, for those of you who might be able to relate. Um, <laughs> so so for, so for me, that, that, that journey that led me to where I am today 
started from the Caribbean because when I started working um, in the bank, when I started working, you know, in the financial industry, there were so many different cultural norms and, you know, there are certain things you can't say to adults, but then you want to be able to have the language to do it, but you can't. And then eventually I left the bank. I, I, I wanted to learn more. I wanted to do more. I left, not the bank, I left St. Lucia and I moved to Canada because I wanted to expand on my horizons and look for more opportunities. And what happened was the integration. I thought the cultural condition and habits that I got from St. Lucia, from my parents and my upbringing would just serve me beautifully. I, I, and call it, maybe I was naive. I don't know. But I just thought that you know, all the things that worked for me in St. Lucia, they will continue to work for me in Toronto because, hey, I was still doing the same job, not in the same capacity, but I was still working in the financial industry. So I had a lot of street cred that I was bringing with me and experiences. Right. Right. Uh, but then I got the culture shock. I realized that um, in, in Canada, in, in, in Toronto, you have to a, advocate for yourself. You have to put your hand up. You have to be able to sell your work. You have to be able to go for coffee and, you know, and just have the informal conversation around who you are. Like you, you literally have to become your own, you know, PR um, person. But everything I was taught growing up in the islands is that you don't, you know, boast. We call it you don't boast. You, you don't put yourself out there. Uh, you keep your head down. You work hard and someone's going to recognize you for it. And a lot of those cultural beliefs didn't work. So I had to change them. So in the process of unlearning those cultural conditionings, I went through this period of there was shame, there was guilt, there was fear, and I couldn't understand it. And no one could explain it to me. I couldn't understand why am I going through this emotional wave? I'm simply trying to change a belief system. Isn't it easy? Isn't it as simple as changing my lipstick or changing my clothes? And, and as I dive into, you know, understanding the brain and how it works and understanding emotions and emotional intelligence, I realized that when we, when I started on that journey of, of unlearning, I was also literally recreating my identity and the ego or, you know, whatever you want to call it, your, your inner self, your inner critic, or um, I, I call it the ego, um, was very, very adamant of keeping that previous identity. Mm. And this was, there was this, this huge dissonance between who I am and who I wanted to be. And that transition was where I had to learn how to manage that emotion. So, so I got, you know, a coach, an EQ coach. I was very fascinated by what she was teaching me, what she was telling me, um, the power of self-awareness, the power of, of just understanding my emotions, of understanding my, that having an emotional awareness, but expressing that emotions is two different things. And it's a skill yeah. that I can learn. I was sold. And, and that was it. I dived into this world and I never looked back. You never looked back. I, I, I can't stress enough how important self-awareness is. The first week was focused on uh, self-awareness. And yeah. I find that that's the key to unlocking barriers, but also connecting us to potential. And, yeah. it, it, you know, if that's simultaneous, then it, and I think sometimes we're on the monkey bar. <laughs> and we haven't, we haven't let go of one and like, ah, ah. Who am I? Who am I supposed to be? Who am I? Who am I supposed to be? And sometimes we just need to, you know, release and, and, and let go. But once you then, you know, have self-awareness, I think what's been happening in this week, especially what I did in the second week and this third week is really having people see systems as they are. One of the things that as really was surprising to the audience was the idea of white supremacy being much more than uh, KKK or skinheads. In fact, yeah, it's, yeah, it's an institution. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you are very well experienced in the, in the field. So I'm curious, 
with your experience working with companies and institutions, what have you seen as the barriers and what is missing? I, I find what, what has been missing exactly what you talk about. I call it white SPF. Mm. Um, we haven't, you know, in, in, in the entire, you know, space in terms of looking at inclusion or looking at diversity and inclusion, it's, it's, it's a core of inclusion for me, a key ingredient that I feel I have been missing is racial justice or looking at inclusion through the lens of um, what role has white SPF played in the creation or the sustaining of a culture of anti-black racism or anti-racism. And I, I define white SPF as white um, superiority, depending on the crowd I use, because to, to your point, white supremacy, a lot of people go right to you know, the KKK, you know, the extreme. And, and when you look at language and the role it plays in terms of activating the amygdala, which is the fear center of the brain, I try to use language that can help people to meet me where they are. So if I really want to engage you in dialogue, so I've been using white superiority, um, P stands for privilege, and F stands for fragility, and really inviting white people in to look at, yes, there is the black experience that you may not have enough information or data on, because let's be frank, due to white complicity, you haven't created space for you to hear about our experiences. Yes. And then B, we haven't looked at the journey of white people and their experiences in the workplace and in society and in life and, 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 and how their daily actions and their white power, privilege and, and, and position have actually sustained the structural racism or the, the institutions that, that continue to perpetuate a culture of anti-black racism. So I feel like it has been this one-sided, well, we know that we need to do something or we need to do something better, but we really haven't looked at white complicity in its fullest. And I think that's what's been missing. Yeah. And so how do we make that a culture in the company? How do we well, do that in schools and families? We, we, we start by normalizing terms like white superiority, white privilege, and white fragility. We start addressing what I call the elephant in the race room. We can't skirt around it. Right. I think we've done it for so long. We're now at a point where we need to, you know, inspect our biases, which is, again, like what you're doing right now is one way to normalize it. Let, let's bring the conversation, feel the fear, right? Feel the uncertainty, feel, you know, your ego knocking at the door saying, hey, I don't know about this, you know, you know, Carlin and, and, and entire talking about bias <laughs> and superiority or white supremacy, but be brave enough to lean into the conversation and begin there because yeah. we cannot fix what we don't face. And I think what we're seeing today is a culmination of, of, of skirting around the issue for over 400 centuries. And now the entire world globally is saying that this is enough. Yeah, so Charlene is saying, Carlin, uh, sharing of cultural conditioning shock going from St. Lucia, don't boast. Oh, she's actually summarizing what you're saying in transition to learning. Yeah, that well, well done, Charlene. <laughs> That's yeah, exactly what it was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she went from conditioning to learning about uh, neuro, uh, and and uh, emotional intelligence. Okay, so then it, it, you and I we talked about it briefly backstage about our loves for acronyms and, and frameworks, it, and you have an amazing one, which is Leap, and you've been using this. It's now public. And you've been using this to work with organizations, just the people to do exactly what you're saying. Could you walk yeah. through what Leap is? Yeah. So Leap, because 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 you know when when the opportunity came for us to have a braver conversation, a lot of people didn't know where to start, didn't know how to start, where to go with the conversation. So Leap is a framework to help us to move into accountable and inclusive leadership, where we can actually start creating that change. And L stands for listen and learn. 
And in order for you to know what role you play or how you can help dismantle the systems, you have to actually listen. You have to hear from the people who are suffering and who are oppressed by the system. So listen and learn so that you can now start unlearning the behavior that is getting in the way of us creating a more equitable world. Um, e stands for embrace. Embrace every single part of your journey, especially the difficult parts. For example, do you know your white history? What is your white SPF? If I ask you to write you know, an analogy of your own personal white SPF, can you do that? Did your great, great, great grandparents own slave? Are your belief systems from your family, is it built on that white SPF? And we know it is, but in what ways is it built? And have you taken the time for you to examine that? So mm -hmm. after you've embraced your journey, now we are going to examine the structural systems and the role that you play as an individual, but also as a leader. Because we know when we look at you know, um, um, the current structures, especially in corporate, what happened? We talk about segregation in schools ending in the 1960s here in Canada. I think the last school was in like 1984. <laughs> but we, that, that school segregation had a baby. And that baby is the current structure we see in corporate Canada and America today, right? Because yeah. there, there's still the segregation. You see a few blacks spotted here and there, but we're not in decision-making um, um, roles. So then examine what role has your white complicity played in, in, in maintaining those structures. And A stands for ACT. And ACT, well, you know, acronym queen here. ACT stands, I have an acronym for ACT. <laughs> ACT stands for activity that causes transformation. Okay. Right? Okay. It's not just taking passive action, performative action, we've seen it. This is why we are where we yeah, are today. Exactly. So the action you will be taking, how, what is it transforming? Is it transforming your own personal biases? Is it transforming the structural, the systems, the institutions that you're a part of? What are you actually transforming? And after you have taken act, action, this is your permission slip to now ask. So A stands for act and ask. Now you have permission to ask the leaders, the black leaders in the community who've been doing the work, where do you need more help? Where do you need us to put more, more support? But based on your activity, it means that you've already done your work. So now you're not coming asking us to teach you. You're coming now with tools and with suggestions and with solutions. And then P stands for prioritizing equity. Yeah. How can you make equity, prioritize equity in your day to day? And I say that, you know, you do that by, by looking at your white SPF. Your, your, sorry, your white P. We're going to focus on the P now. And P, there are three P's in the white P. Leverage your white position privilege, leverage your white power privilege, and your white pay privilege to make a difference in the black lives, in the workplace, in society, and also your three social structures. Home, which is your family, right. school, or your work, and society as well. That's well said. And it goes right along with what Rebecca is saying. Rebecca is saying, I'm relieved to hear you talk about your experience in Toronto. White supremacy is not just a problem in the United States. It's worldwide. It is worldwide. You, you, worldwide. you and I were talking about it. Yeah, we, we, I came from a you know colonized country. We were colonized and we're both part of the Commonwealth, yep. Nigeria, St. Lucia. And a lot of the standards, whether it's beauty standards, professionalism or whatever we've come to, to accept as normal, do come from what Europeans deemed as as a, you know what is standard as standard yeah as, yeah as 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 brilliance as as valued and you see it so we talk about i often you know smile when i see companies put out you know statements around pay equity or gender pay equity and all of that and i'm like 
you do know that if you dismantle your white pay and white power privilege, if you dismantle the system, you will actually start beginning to see why blacks and Latinos and indigenous people are paid less, right? Yeah. It, 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 it's all part of the system. People don't understand how tied this is, but it's all part of the system. Because if we dismantle you know, the structural racism, then we start bringing equity again. You, you start prioritizing equity in everything. Yeah. And companies who continuously put out that memo every year, to me, you really should be ashamed to put that out next year if you did not do the work. Again, activity that causes transformation. What did you do to bridge the gender pay gap in exactly. your company? What exactly. did you do to bridge the power gap in your company? Yeah. You know, These are the examples and the, the results that I'd like to see. And to me, this is when we really start doing the work. And it's very important to point out the difference between equality and equity. Like, you know, equality could be everybody has access to the same thing, but equity is giving people what they need to succeed. Yeah. And so th that 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 extra difference between equality and equity is, is, is where the work really is. You know, how do you make sure you understand people? I think in my experience, at least, I've seen people who make assumptions. They'll be like, oh, you went to the same school I did, so you have no problem. But you don't do the structural research. You don't understand where someone came from. Maybe this is the first person to graduate from this family. Maybe this person has been living in a segregated area because of redlining. Maybe this, you know, this person's history has made them think that there's nothing great about where they came from. Maybe you unconsciously have believed the same thing. And it's just so much unlearned that needs to be done. But when companies become performative, it actually perpetuates the problem because it, it just makes you more distrustful, in my opinion. It just makes us, it takes away your integrity, uh, whether you mean it to happen or not. And so, uh, oh, Great. Yeah. No, no, very well said. You you, you, you nailed all of it. And then this is where the, 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 the work begins, right? But I think, and when you look at white fragility, a lot of, you know, people are, um, afraid to go there because they're going through that, you know, how Charlene, you know, summed up my, my experience, that transition, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're going through that neuro and emotional wave of change and people are very uncomfortable and they're using that discomfort to walk away. But what I encourage pe people to do is to use that discomfort to lean into the work, use that discomfort and turn it into fuel, go outside of your comfort zone. Yes. Think about how uncomfortable we've been for years. <laughs> That's the thing. <laughs> if you think you're comfortable now, can you imagine? <laughs> uh, that, is, uh, that is so true. That's going to segue. I just got to give, let me give uh, my mom a shout out. You know, hi, mom. Love you. I see you. I see oh, you there. Okay. Hi, mom. <laughs> Meet you. All the emojis. <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> so, so that is the that is the thing, though. So, I got we got a few questions, and a lot of the questions centered around that discomfort. And one of the questions was around the idea of of racism, and if there is something called reverse racism. And the conversation was, you know, I've been talking about you know the work you've been explaining to us, and let's talk bias. But someone told me that I grew up where black people hated me. I I didn't have it. In, you know, in an easy way, and and you know, why can't we talk about that racism? Why are we talking about this racism? Uh, to that, you say what? That's the definition of white privilege. <laughs> like a white person trying to pull a, a reverse racism? No, no, that's the definition of white privilege. And and I'm not saying that there is there isn't a discomfort or no one by us putting the lens and focus on anti-black racism or anti-racism. We are not saying that other problems don't exist. 
And, and, and I, I heard an analogy where someone said is that if you are in this community and on, on, on the left side, all the houses on the left side are on fire, do you tell the firemen to go and, and spray water on all the, the homes on the right side? Or do you get them to go put the fire out where it's needed the most, which is the houses that are on fire on the left? Yeah. So why would they you know, take the resources and put it on the right where, when people are dying over on the left side? It doesn't make sense, right? Yeah. So it's yeah. the same thing. Um, people who have been through prejudice or disagreements or pain, um, we are not denying that, you know, uh, you have struggled. What we're saying is that after your struggle, after your prejudice, you get to go home to white privilege. You get to go home into a system that supports you and favors you. You and I, we get to go back into a system that will continue to oppress us because the work has not been done to dismantle the systems. Mm -hmm. So that is the difference. There is no reverse racism. You continue yeah in your privileged life and world. Of course you have difficulties. Of course you might get somebody who's probably mad at you, et cetera, et cetera. But we can't compare this to the centuries of systemic and institutionalized racism that black people have gone through for so many centuries, which has seen, which has led us to where we are today, where, where white police officers can put their knee on somebody's neck and not think twice about yeah. the human life. That is the dehumanization. This is where it has gotten us to today, yeah. right? And we saw it with Amy Cooper. She felt justified in calling the cops and lying and putting a black man's life in danger. This is the world we walk back into. You walk into a world that glorifies you, where you see yourself represented, where the system favors you. If you call a cop, it's to protect you. If a black person calls a cop, it's not to protect. <laughs> That's well said. So, so no, I'm sorry, but not, actually, I'm not sorry. No, reverse racism does not exist. You, you know, and a lot of what Carlin is talking about is the idea of power and privilege, right? So you, you could have, you know, you could grow up in a socioeconomic background that made you, I guess, poor or disadvantage you from fellow white folks. But the idea of how society sees you and what can come with, you know, walking down the street or you being a taller black man. I mean, the stats for taller, bigger black men are, are just they're just appalling when you're in front of, uh, you know, a cop or a situation. It, it's, you know, the chances of you being considered a threat are higher. And that's the bias again. Right. If, if you yeah. don't if you don't think about that. And, you know, the fact that many of us have to worry about what we're wearing at what time or if we are in a certain environment, we we now know take out your phone just record this <laughs> in case it's become it becomes something else those type of things are that's yeah. exactly uh that's exactly what we're talking about uh someone um ollie says my thing is people referring to reverse racism can't deal with the fact that prejudice and discrimination they experience yet they're comfortable with allowing it to exist for others okay so they yeah. can't deal with that what they're facing but, but they're okay with it and, and that goes back to the dehumanization because um, that very, and thank you, Ollie, for sharing that. That statement yeah. is literally the, the business case for why white people think black lives don't matter. Because yeah. if it didn't matter, right, then you would understand that it is a humanitarian issue. Right. It's human rights right? issue. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, there, there's another, another human being is being treated that way. I have a problem with it. No matter what color, what race, what culture I'm from. That's because right. now we're talking about the human. So, 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 so by, so by, 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 by not acknowledging that, what a lot of white people are saying is that only some lives matter. 
that, yeah, that's it. And a lot of times what they even saying is, you know, I, I feel like I can see a lot of problems here, but I want to conveniently avoid, you know, solving or playing a role in, the, in that, that situation because it's making me uncomfortable. And I remember something that I had and you're centering yourself again, which goes back to yeah, that's the privilege. Mm-hmm. And then there was, I wrote something yesterday and it goes like this. I said, just because you're not a bad person doesn't mean you don't play a role in a bad system. I love that. Many people are obsessed with this idea of being good people, that they are not racist, that they have their black friends, they have, they, they, you know, they've supported all these charities, but it's the same thing we're talking about. It, this is much bigger than an individual situation here. The, the reason why this is being echoed all around the world is because everyone has felt what some form of white supremacy is. There is no industry. The beauty industry has seen yep. the preference towards lighter skin uh, models. Yep. We've seen people with different hairstyles being demonized as unprofessional. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. We've seen people arrested for being who they are. We've seen it for fitting the description because they, they look a certain way. Science books, history books, they've been altered and they get circulated and become best time, you know, bestsellers and literally erase history based yeah. on white supremacy. And yeah. so. And that's why I love what Jane Elliott said when she said that. You know, school is the biggest indoctrination of white supremacy. School is not here to teach. School is here to literally, and and, and everything you just talked about, we're being written out of the history books. Our stories are not centered. We don't see ourselves represented. All of that is perpetuating the system. And it's all, it's all, it's all a fact of white complicity. Yeah. And, and, and so, and that's the difficult part. And so when you're talking with companies and you're, you're talking to, to leaders and people who want to be part of the change, that's. That's the thing. That's the work, right? You, you, you have to do more than call. You have to act like with your, your acronym, but it has to turn yeah. into something. You know, you have to yeah. put your your mouth, uh, you know, where your money is, and you also have to make sure that you're talking to the people in the work, uh, in your family, at work, and at school, because that's where all this happens. You know, exactly. I, yeah. It, the most difficult thing that I've I've seen come up uh, uh, is in this conversation and throughout the three weeks we've been doing this is that. Some people have parents that have different mindsets or some people have spouses. Some people have 
you know, people from, or relatives from different backgrounds. And of course, it's obviously difficult when, you know, you maybe are just now coming to consciousness of what the world is and your whole family is 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 used to that narrative of anti-blackness and so it then becomes this dynamic for them at least this is what has been communicated that okay how can i you know i mean i love this person but yeah. this person is wrong and they're dogmatic about it and no one wants to listen and so there's that fear uh of, of yeah and it, but i would say this is where you get to decide what side of history you want to be on <laughs> Right. If if you if you decide to write a letter to your future self or your future children, what are you going to tell them about this current moment? Are you willing to be the one who will and 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 the work of dismantling the the culture of anti-black racism and the systems? It's not for you to convince your family members. I would say that. I would say. Use that opportunity for you to figure out what part of the system can I tackle. So for example, if you work, let's in the health system or you know, in, in, in police or the school system, what mm -hmm. can you do with your white privilege, your white power privilege, your white position privilege, and your white pay privilege? What yeah. can you do with that? Which system can you tackle, right? Uh, or what can you advocate on behalf? Choose a lane and go hard down that lane. Don't use your energy trying to convince your family. If they're not ready, then they're not ready because we're all on a different, you know, everybody's on a different part of talking about bias and talking about racism and talking about, for some people, it's the first time they're actually saying the word racism. The first time they're saying the word racism. So they're saying, you know what I mean? Like everybody's a, you just a totally different part of the journey. So yeah. I would invite the person who's like, my parents don't get it or my sister doesn't get it or whatnot. Use that energy to figure out can I, you know, rally up a group of my friends? I, I can't remember who said it, but somebody, um, I was on a talk, uh, Elevate uh, Tech, we were looking at racism in tech um, here, here in Canada, and um, Colette McGowan, she's the chief um, um, exploration, chief, oh, what's a new title, at TD Bank. She's one of the most senior person in the tech space here um, at TD Bank in Canada, um, and black woman. And she talked about your different social groups. Like we have so much power within those groups. So whether it's, okay, so your family is one, right? But what if you take a few of your friends, who do you hang out with? If you wanna, let's say, defund the police or use that power to, to lobby, to get the education system to change. Mm -hmm. Use that power, that white power privilege or that white position privilege there. Choose a lane, rally some of your white girls and uh, white women or white men and use that power to create really change, to, 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 to take action, to create activity that causes transformation. This is what we need and this is where the real work is. Absolutely, and to your point, this is, you know, Rebecca was saying is I put this up earlier, but I wanna highlight it again. White supremacy is atmospheric. And so- I love that. That means it's in anything that you're doing. So even if you're a person, you can use your dollars to stop supporting a, a TV <laughs> show to perpetuate something. You can use your dollars to amplify a voice. You can hold your school accountable that you're in. You can say, you can advocate for voices in your workplace and say everything. You can tell your friend to not say that racist joke. You can raise an anti-racist kid. So it, it, it it's everywhere. So you can get obviously frustrated with the family dynamic and not being able to do that. But then you're right. What side are you gonna be in when history is said and done? Because 2020 is not even, is it we halfway now? Maybe we're halfway there. It, look at what has happened this year. It's just insane. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 
I think so. I, I think, I, you know what? And then that's one of the things that I realized, because we were talking about, I don't know for you, but 2019, I'm, so many of my friends and everybody I talk to, people are like, 2019 dragged me, right? Uh, yeah. 2019 was rough. But I think why it was rough, it was setting us up for 2020, because the new decade, we need a more equitable world. Um, world. So yeah. this is why I think we're having this disruption, so that we can rebuild a just society and and and, and by extension, a just world. So I ask every single white person watching this, a non-black person, what side of history do you want to be on, right? Yeah. And and Austin, um, you know, she did this Austin Shannon Brown. She did this interview with Dr. Brené Brown, which is one of my favorite um, teachers on vulnerability yeah. and shame. Oh. And she said that the work of anti-racism is mm -hmm. to become a better human so that you can be a better human to all humans. Yeah, it's humanity. This is about humanity. Yes. Yeah. 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 You know, this, human. That's it. The strategically, the strategic uh, dehumanization of of black uh, folks and and, and non-white folks has been on for over four hundred years, even before you know uh, enslavement was happening. And so, what is happening right now is this world is waking up to this consciousness of the dehumanization it's participated in consciously unconsciously and now there are many people that have to be held accountable right and and this idea of if you call someone out that's going to mean you're going to lose something is the very essence of privilege but you have to be willing to lose something because it's many times it's been unearned and by extension other people have suffered the consequences for that and so you know even in the immigrant community you and i are in um you know it, what we'll call you know I guess Africans in diaspora, <laughs> and, yeah. so, and, so, and so in in our communities, we, we we I have these conversations with my parents all the time. Mom's on here too, but we talk about it. You know these narratives that we have to unlearn. Like we can't perpetuate that. We can't say that. Why can't you know? Well, I heard this. No, it's not true. There's so many things that that we have to unlearn because a lot of times I've seen this happen recently where you know some people will say, "Well, that black person said this," as if it's to validate their thing, and then I always point. I was, uh, you know, I have a retort and say, so wait, do you think all the work that you've been researching is now invalidated because you heard another black person say something that that yeah. maybe validated a thought you had previously? That means you are not critically thinking through this. You shouldn't exactly. just accept what I'm saying <laughs> or, you know, what Colin's saying. You should, yes, listen, but you need to learn too. Learn, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and yeah. learn the parts that, that no longer serve you. Yeah. And, and, and this is where the, you know, I have this other, you know, acronym uh, framework that I use and, and I encourage people to use it to inspect their biases, like, like try to see where that is coming from. Even, even the, the, you know, that example that you gave, the fact that you're ready to throw everything away, where is that coming from? Right. And, yeah. and SPEC stands for looking at your, your societal conditioning, your school conditioning, right. Uh, looking at your social media conditioning, the, the data that we consume, that goes straight to your subconscious. So if you've been, you know, looking at racial trauma, you know, videos over and over again, where the cops are just literally taking the lives of black people, you are now becoming desensitized to that as yes. well. Right. Yeah. And then P stands for looking at your perspectives and looking at also your, your personal relationships or your personal narratives. Right. Just as you pointed out, like what are the narratives that you've been perpetuating? You've been saying unconsciously or consciously that you may not be aware of. And yeah. then E stands for your experiences and your environment. Every time you look around you, do you only see white people or do you have 
actual relationships with black people and other people from different cultures? Are yes. you putting yourself out there, eating different foods, having different drinks, understanding the history of what you're eating and what you're participating in? Are you reading different books and right. see plans for your cultural conditioning and your family programming, right? Like I said, do you know your white history? Do you? Yeah. No, that, that's, that's, I love, I love that you said that. And yeah, another thing that I want to add to this is, is this idea of, oh, I, it, you know, if, if I'm learning something that, that means, you know, it's hard work or it's emotional labor. And I'm saying, you gotta, you gotta understand this is the, this is the other side of the equation. This is someone's everyday, everyday life. So when, so when you're saying that it's, you know, it's, it's, it can be a microaggression, but it's also, um, you know, insulting and dehumanizing because you're, you're saying I, I can choose to check in, uh, all he says, it's like when we were in school and we'll say, if I lived during the civil rights movement, for example, yeah. I would have said or done something. It's happening now. So what are we doing or saying? Yep. Yeah. What are we doing and saying? And we yeah. talked about this. We don't have a choice, right? Uh, for me, I, I feel like it's, it's, it's my calling and work to honor the work that my ancestors did. Not yeah. everybody, you know, I, I see activism as, as different. There's so many different, different parts to it, right? Um, the work that we're all called to do, it's, it's, it's a part of that journey. It's a part of continuing that journey. Yeah. Right? My grandmother who came from, I think she came from, when I did my, my DNA, I'm like 80% Nigerian, right? From Benin and, and Togo. Yeah. This, yeah. this is where, where, where my family is. Niger. <laughs> I don't know the kind of You're going to have to take me. You're going to have to take me, right? I, I'm ready. <laughs> I still have to visit, but but I remember her strength and her resilience. She was the first entrepreneur in the family. She had this little shop, right? Yeah. Um, and, and for me, I remember, like, she had no support. Like, like, like she she didn't have a blueprint, but, but she did it back then. So for me, that in itself is part of the revolution. Right. Women claiming space. And again, we grew up in this little hut. My grandmother had no electricity, no running water, but she was like, she's going to start this business and she started it. And we look at all the grassroots work with all, you know, activists from Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King, you know, um, uh, we're standing on the shoulders of giants. So for us, Absolutely. we we don't have a choice. For me, I can't be like, well, I'm tired or uncomfortable. Yes, I'm tired. I'll rest in between. But for me, it's important for us to continue the work because that is the work. I, that's 100%. And, and follow, following through with the conversation we had earlier, it's like when people use Candace Owens or Diamond and Silk, this is from Rebecca, as proof, no one Black person speaks for everyone. We have to, you know, collect a census of Black experiences to understand what is happening. And I want to add something to this. So, because I've been seeing a lot of these type of arguments. Well, I don't trust the Black Lives uh, Matters, Black Lives Matter um, organization. They get money from here. Well, I don't, I don't trust Candace Owens or Candace Owens said this. And I'm always saying, look, you have to understand the bigger picture here. This is still about black lives. You, you yeah. can't use, let's say what you said is true, whatever you said is true. What does that have to do with your cause of advancing actual black lives, right? You acting like that's the only organization that you have to work with. Again, if that, if what you're saying is true, and, and that to me is a distraction because yeah. it, if your mind is primed to question whether you can help black lives because you saw some information that could be sketchy about an organization in there, then you are not seeing black people as people. It's almost like you, you've tied them to some abstract organization that, that represents every single black person. And so if one person does something that goes against your values, you're like, oh, well, there, there goes all the black lives I was gonna support. And I'm like, what? what? 
And, and, and to me, it also makes me question your integrity or your why for doing this. Because if you're ready to jump ship because you saw one, oh, this person is doing X and you're ready to leave, then it means that you weren't in it for the right reasons, period. Absolutely. That's what I call performative allyship. You were here to perform. You were here to make yourself look good. You were here to get that little trophy, that little you know pat on the back. Oh, good job, white person. Oh, yay, you showed up. Now you can go. No, this work needs to continue for the next, and I've been saying for the next 800, 800, 846 centuries, because <laughs> what was it? It was eight, eight, eight minutes and 46 seconds that cop you know, kept his knee right. on, on right. Um, George Floyd's neck, right? Yeah. And we know that's not the only person who has died from I can't breathe, but I think white people need to buckle up and get ready for the long ride because it's going yeah. to be a long ride. And if you find yourself questioning, jumping ship or want to, again, I want you to ask yourself, what side of history are you on? Are you going to continue to perpetuate the system through white complicity or are you going to use your white SPF to truly create an equitable world where every single black life, trans life, every single black life really, really, really matter? That's that's thin. Uh, and you, you brought it up there. You said trans life and all and everything. So the idea of black lives, by the way, means it's it's everyone. Every, right. So like, every black life. You know, I, I'm straight, cisgendered male, but that doesn't mean that I can't now. You know, you can't just only support yeah. <laughs> the straight males. It's it's everyone in the, you know, everyone, the yeah. LGBTQ in the community, anyone that identifies as that, because that's all dehumanizing when you start exactly. to choose this and that. And exactly. it happens in many movements, even with the feminist movement. Um, a lot of times, you know, the, there was you know, there was uh, a lot of conflict where saying it's only centering white females and not yeah. not the others. So that's that's something that people have to understand. It, it is not monolithic. You cannot yeah. look for a shortcut to yeah. understand any of this. Yeah. So and, and also, in, in if you look at the movements as well, so people often think that white super, white supremacy or white superiority, you know, is this thing that you know it's it's over here. But to your point, if you look at the whole feminist movement, and I've seen so many different, you know, um, black feminist leaders speak up yeah. on how it has just literally shifted or moved them out, out, out of the way or out of the conversation, which, again, mm -hmm. is a byproduct of white superiority and white privilege, right? 100%. Centering the white experience yeah. is probably the loudest expression we have out there of, of white privilege or white superiority. So I invite people to... When you when you look at your different systems or structures, where you look at your social structures, your home, your work, your communities, and all the other society so groups that you you participate in, um, if it all looks like you, then it means that you're literally sitting in in, in white white privilege, Absolutely. <laughs> white superiority. That's, right? that, that's just a fact like, of the matter. Yeah. That's it. Uh, <laughs> so if you're struggling to figure out what it looks like, that's it right there. Yeah, absolutely. And start there by asking who's not in the room. <laughs> no, I love it. Rebecca's on the road today. So um, this is exactly what I've been telling people who question me about BLM stance on Israel-Palestine. It's not relevant. It's uh, it's about actual black human beings right now. Again, I mean, this idea, look, look, at, look at us. Carlin and I, we're both black, different parts of the world. We're not part of BLM. Let's say you, you know, if that's the idea, but Black lives still matter. <laughs> it it's, I don't understand. It's, everybody's like, yo, but I heard that organization is. So then I'm like, what does that have to do with black lives? Black lives. Exactly. <laughs> what is. Yeah, we, 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 can't, we can't distract or we can't allow people to, to distract us from the bigger message, which is yeah. all black lives matter. And we yeah. need to continue doing the work to dismantle, you know, the systems, the institutions 
um, and, and also the day-to-day -day behavior that perpetuates the system. Yeah, and, and I'd love that you, you focus on emotions because it's one of my favorite things to do as well is because if you don't understand that emotion, and Ali is bringing another great example, if you don't understand that emotion of why you are so quick to just jump ship it means you're there's something deep there that you haven't really un, unlearned or, or processed that you know you maybe you're feeling like you have to do something because everybody else is doing something around you but you don't actually believe it because you're waiting it's a confirmation bias you're, you're waiting for something to confirm it uh, you know unconsciously and when it now happens you're like oh now i could say it before i couldn't but now i can bring this stat <laughs> and say that and and that's that that's the thing whenever you're uh, this coming week is going to be uh, about role playing and I'm going to have a lot of people role play the other side and you're going to find a lot of people bringing stats to you. Right. And, and they're not going to be able to bring experiences or any of these other things. It's just statistics or things that they've read and they haven't researched. That is indicative of a bigger problem. It is yep. such a lazy way of thinking <laughs> and it's very dehumanizing. It is. And, and also when you look at it on the brain based level, um, when you look at the connection points, and I think that is where um, the dehumanization begins, because yeah. data and stats, there are, I think, five or six research shows connection points in terms of really taking in the information and it really settling in our, in our, in our psyche and you know, in our unconsciousness. Yeah. But when you use stories, there yeah. are over, I think, 10 or 15 connection points. Because mm -hmm. stories is what really connects us as human beings. When we hear someone else's story, we literally put ourselves in that person's shoes. We yeah. start experiencing the emotions they experience. And Lisa, you know, Renee Hall, which is another awesome, you know, she does a lot of great work around helping highly sensitive people to 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 unlearn, uh, to understand the white supremacy and 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 the white superiority personas. She talks, she talks about the intellectualization of racism. And I think that is where stats have gotten us. Like, like there are so many people who just keep spitting out the numbers year after year, right? But they haven't really emotionalized the experience because they haven't truly seen us. They haven't truly centered our experiences. They haven't really included us as part of the conversation, which is where that Eurasia started happening from way back when, right? Yeah. We weren't we weren't centralized in, in, in the history books and we weren't a part of the conversation. So so part of that is 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 really getting people to understand that again, if I go back to my leap um, format um, framework, sorry, the L is really to listen and learn. And yeah. when you listen, sit with the discomfort of questions that might come up is, oh my gosh, have I been racist in the past? Ooh, was I racist to someone? Probably you might have. Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily mean you're a bad person. It means that you're a person who now understands that unconsciously you may have hurt someone or you may have contributed towards a culture of anti-Black racism or the systems of anti-Black racism. But now with this awareness, you can now begin the work of dismantling. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So, so let's think of some actionable things that people can do this week. Because I know this week I'm prepping them to have the conversation with the other side and I know sitting with discomfort is one, and that is a necessary thing. In fact, part of the, the, the I would submit to you that the, probably the biggest problem we've had is all these people that are uncomfortable choosing not to be part exactly. of the conversation. And, and that means, oh, I'm moving away from this neighborhood, or I'm not gonna call this person out. I'm not gonna do that. And them not understanding the long-term consequences of what that is, right? And, and that means that person has to deal with this, and there's this emotion that goes on, and it perpetuates so many things while we go about our days. And so mm -hmm. someone learning how to sit with a discomfort and understanding how to humanize 
black lives? What are, you know, hacks and things that they can train their emotions to deal with that uh, resistance that will come up or that urge to center themselves? So, so I would say, so I love your acronym on talk, right? So talk is great. Like you start with telling yourself the truth. Yeah. Um, Wire new stories. And keep pushing through and act. <laughs> so I love, first of all, I would say first talk. Yeah. And after you talk, right the wave, right? And 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 the, the reason why I'm centering emotion because as you talk, you will be going through a lot of different emotions. So um, first, start with the understanding that emotions are just data. It's yeah. not a directive to act. Do not assign meaning to it. If anger comes up or rage or guilt, you're not a guilty person. You're a human being having a guilty experience and a guilty emotions, right? Or, or shame emotion or fear emotion. We are human beings having an emotional experience. We are not the emotion. So that's that's the first thing I would say. So emotions are data. You're a human being having and ride the wave. And 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 wave stands for W. Write your emotional patterns down. Like observe. Observe. <laughs> I know Ty and I are gonna have an acronym battle coming coming for the next episode. But wave stands for um write your emotional data like really write it down so that you can understand it so as you talk right as you leap as you listen and learn what emotions are coming up identify them that is key to understanding your emotional intelligence and actually increasing it a a stands for again i'm all about the action now that you've understood your emotion Take action on that. What is it telling you? Where, where is it? Emotion also is a bodily sensation. So identify where, where is that emotion sitting in my body? Is my discomfort in my stomach? Is my discomfort in my throat? Is it in, in, where is it? Identifying that can also help you to take power over it and not allow the emotions to drive you. If we are reacting, you're giving your power away. But if you're responding, you're now standing in your power and you're choosing to use your emotional intelligence to have a braver conversation. But you can't understand that if you don't write it down. So that's the first thing. Because once you take it out of here, our brains are not designed to hold information. Once you take it out of here and you put it on paper, you're now creating more clarity around what you're feeling. Yeah. V stands for voicing it out. Just You talked about role playing. I would say role play with someone you can trust. Don't be afraid to mess up, right? Have the conversation. Yes. I, I, the work of be, becoming, uh, you know, um, anti-racist is 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 the work of falling over and over and over again and messing up over and over and over again. Just as we don't talk for every black person, yeah. you don't talk for every white person. That's right. Your work is your work, right? So voice out what is it you're trying to do. Voice the conversation. When our brain goes through something new, it because it doesn't understand it, your brain is designed to stick to its comfort zone. It does not like change. The minute you start to change, your ego is like, are you trying to change my identity? Right now, people like me. I'm pretty cool. I'm out <laughs> there. I'm dope. Now you want to do this anti-racism work? What are you trying to say? People might be saying, is she racist? Is that why she's doing the work? So you're yeah. going to get a lot of those conflicting emotions and, 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 and information that will keep coming up. So voice it out. Speak it out. Even if your voice trembles, even if it hurts, bring your little crew together. You have your crew to watch Netflix, to go to the club, to, to, to go hang out, to read books. Create a little group so that you can start practicing. And yeah. E stands for every single time you fall down, just get back up and keep going. Because you will fall, you will fail. This is not a perfection race. This is not a perfection race. 
think about the baton that you want to pass forward to your child or as you want as part of your legacy. So yeah. keep falling down, bruise as your knees as many times as you need to, because at least you know that baton that you will be passing on, it will be the most authentic one that you can pass on as part of your family history, because this is where the work is. For me, I, people ask me, aren't you tired? There's a lot of emotional labor. Yes, I'm tired. But when I look into the eyes of my little nieces and nephews, right now my three-year-old niece Lenny in St. Lucia, my, my four-year-old niece Jem up here, they think that they can do anything they want. They think that the world is theirs. I want to protect that. I want to protect that by showing up for them as, 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 as powerfully as I can. I will do the work because I want them to have a better world. So what kind of world are you trying to build? So I would say start there, ride the wave, ride the wave. I'm just, just dropping the mic. Is that, is that why we dropped the mic? <laughs> you know, I can't think of a better way to end this on that note, but I do want to thank you. And I want you to give, I want to give you an opportunity to uh, share with the audience how they can connect with you, what you have, any anything you have to sell, promote, whatever. I, <laughs> you can connect with me on Instagram. I'm the more, more active on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Uh, we actually just launched um, a website, KDPM Consulting Group. So if you go to my Instagram, you'll find the link. We are going to be releasing our um, race, racism and equity toolkit. Um, mm -hmm. We actually wrote a piece on five equity-based strategies that workplaces can employ starting from now. And the LEAP framework is kind of like our methodology to help you to move through the work. So over the next couple of weeks, we'll be sharing um, just different, you know, neuro-based or uh, EQ-based tools to help you to continue to do the work as a team, as an organization. And of course, if you're interested in working with us more on a consultancy basis, um, I can send out the proposal. We have a proposal that we can send you that really shows you what options are available. So if you go to kdpmconsultinggroup.com or it's easier, go to my Instagram, just click on the link in the bio, send yeah. us a note, and someone will um, reach out to you with some more information. I'll put that in, in the show notes. And if you're listening on the podcast, it's already going to be in the description uh, because I'm going to make sure this is a podcast episode. But, uh, you know, please follow her companies, hire her, give her all the monies. <laughs> uh, but thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been a real pleasure and I've enjoyed having Same. you. And, and I look forward to hosting you here in Toronto. I'll bring your book, we could go on that tour, have that conversation and we can yeah. do this live. But most yeah. importantly, we're going to do that acronym like challenge, right? I could, you, you, already, you already laid down a few. So <laughs> I need it. But I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready for this. Uh, but awesome. we'll do this. We did this. Uh, ladies, gentlemen, and gender non-binary individuals, till tomorrow, use your difference to make a difference. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.